Chapter Twenty One of Tempest and Sunshine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tempest and Sunshine by Mary Jane Holmes. Chapter Twenty One Stirring Events. Great was Mr. Middleton's surprise when informed by Dr. Lacey of his engagement with Julia. Something in his countenance must have betrayed it, for Dr. Lacey said, You seem astonished, sir. Are you displeased? Certainly not. I am glad, answered Mr. Middleton. Yet I confess I was surprised, for I had never thought of such a thing. Once I had hoped you would marry Fanny, but since Frank Cameron has rendered that impossible, you cannot do better than take Julia. She is intelligent, accomplished, and handsome, and although she has some faults, your influence over her will lead her to correct them. Unlike this was the reception which the intelligence met with from Dr. Lacey's Negroes. What are you saying? asked Aunt Dilsley of Rondu, who was communicating the important news to Leffy. "'You'd better ask,' replied Rondu. "'Who do you suppose Master George is going to fetch here to crack our heads for us?' "'Dunno, Miss Mabel, maybe,' said Aunt Dilsey. "'No, sir, Miss Mabel is bad enough, but she can't hold a candle to this one.' answered Rondu. "'You don't mean Miss July!' shrieked rather than asked Aunt Dilsey. "'I don't mean nobody else, Mother Dilsey,' said Rondu. Up flew Aunt Dilsey's hands in amazement, and rolled her eyes in dismay. "'I clare thought,' she said, "'if Master George has done made such a fool of hisself, I hope she'll pull his bar a heap worse than she did Jack's. No danger but what she will, and yours too, was Rondu's consoling reply. Lord knows, said Aunt Dilsey. First time she sasses me, I'll run away long of Jack and the baby. I'll tie up my new gown and cap in a handkerchief this night. Leffie now proposed that her mother should defer her intended flight until the arrival of the dreaded Julia, while Rondu added, Besides, Dilsey, if you should run away, your delicate body couldn't get further than the swamp, where you'd go in up to your neck first lunge, and all master's horses couldn't draw you out. This allusion to her size changed the current of Aunt Dilsey's wrath, which now turned and spent itself on Rondu. Her impression of Julia, however, never changed, although she was not called upon to run away. Mrs. Lacey, too, received the news of her son's engagement with evident dissatisfaction, but she thought remonstrance would be useless, and she kept silent secretly praying that Julia might prove better than her fears. In due course of time there came from Kentucky a letter of congratulation from Fanny, but she was so unaccustomed to say or write what she did not feel that the letter 
so far as congratulations were concerned, was a total failure. She, however, denied her engagement with Frank, and this, if nothing else, was sufficient reason why Julia refused to show it to Dr. Lacey. Julia knew the chain by which she held him was brittle, and might at any time be broken, and it was not strange that she longed for the last days of October, when with Dr. Lacey she would return to Kentucky. They came at last, and one bright, cloudless morning, Uncle Joshua got out his carriage and proceeded to Frankfurt, where, as he had expected, he met Julia and his expected son-in-law. His greeting of the former was kind and fatherly enough, but the moment he saw the latter, he felt, as he afterwards said, an almost unconquerable desire to flatten his nose, gouge his eyes, knock out his teeth, and so forth, which operations would doubtlessly have greatly astonished Dr. Lacey, and given him what almost every man has, viz., a most formidable idea of his wife's relations. He, however, restrained his wrath, and when, at a convenient time, Dr. Lacey, with a few ominous ahems and made-up coughs, indicated his intention of asking for Julia, Uncle Joshua cut him short by saying, Never mind, I know what you want. You may have her and welcome. I only wish she would make as good a wife as you will husband. But mind now, when you find out what for a fury you've got, don't come winning round me, for I give you far warning. Here Dr. Lacey thought proper to say that possibly Mr. Middleton did not understand his daughter. Not understand her, repeated Mr. Middleton. What's to hinder? She's my own gal, and I like her well enough. But don't I know she's as fiery as a baker's oven? She is greatly changed, continued Dr. Lacey. Don't you give her credit for that? Changed, replied Mr. Middleton. So's lightning changed. It's one of her tricks. Depend on it, you'll find it so and Mr. Middleton walked off in search of his promising daughter. Strange as it may seem, the old man's remarks had no other effect on Dr. Lacey than to cause him to pity Julia, who he fancied was misunderstood and misused. He believed her reformation to be sincere, and could not help feeling that Mr. Middleton was mistaken in his opinion of both his daughters. After trampling all over the house, banging doors and shouting at least a dozen times, "Who oh, Tempest, what for gracious sakes are you? Mr. Middleton at length found his daughter in Mrs. Miller's room, consulting with Kate about her bridal dress. Kate, too, was wholly deceived by Julia's gentleness and apparent frankness of manner, and readily complied with her request that she should be with her the two days preceding the marriage, for the purpose of assisting in the arrangements of affairs. This being settled, Mr. Middleton and his daughter started for home, which they reached about sunset. 
Julia leaped gaily from the carriage, and running into the house, embraced her mother and received the blacks as affectionately as Fanny herself could have done. Then, missing her sister, she asked, Where is Fan? Why does she not come to meet us? Mrs. Middleton looked inquiringly at her husband, who replied, No, I ain't told her, just because she didn't ask me. Sunshine is sick, sick in bed, and has had the potkery three times. Fanny's sick, said Julia. Where is she? In her room? I will go to her immediately. But in going to Fanny, it was necessary to pass the parlour, and Julia could not resist the temptation to look in and see if the old man had fixed up anything. Oh, how neat! How pleasant! was her first exclamation, and truly the cheerless old room had undergone a great renovation. It had been thoroughly cleaned and repainted. The walls were hung with bright, cheerful-looking paper. A handsome carpet covered the floor, while curtains of corresponding beauty shaded the windows. The furniture, tastefully arranged, was nearly all new, and in the waxen flowers which filled the vases on the mantelpiece, Julia recognised the handiwork of her sister. Yes, Fanny's love had wrought this change. At first her father had refused to do anything. No, I won't, said he. It's good enough, and if it don't suit Lady Tempest, she can go to the hole's barn. That's just fit for em. Then, father, said Fanny, do it for my sake. It would please me to have a pleasanter parlour. This was sufficient. A well-filled purse was placed in Fanny's hand, with liberty to do as she pleased. Then, with untiring love, aching heart, and throbbing temples, she worked on day after day until all was completed, parlour, bridal chamber, and all. The hangings and drapery of the latter were as white and pure as was she who so patiently worked on, while each fresh beauty added to the room pierced her heart with a deeper anguish as she thought what and whom it was for. When her mother remonstrated against such unceasing toil, she would smile a sweet, sad smile and say, Don't hither me, dear mother. Tis all I can do to show my love for Julia, and after I am gone they will perhaps think more kindly of me when they know how I worked for them. At last all was done. The finishing stroke was given, and then came a reaction. Fanny took her bed, and her father, instantly alarmed, called the nearest physician. Dr. Gordon readily saw that Fanny's disease was in her mind, and in reply to Mrs. Middleton's inquiries, he frankly told his opinion, and said that unless the cause of her melancholy could be removed, the consequence might be fatal. "'Don't tell my husband,' said Mrs. Middleton, "'his life is bound up in Fanny, and the day that sees her dead will, I fear, also make me a widow.' Accordingly, Mr. Middleton was deceived into a belief that Fanny's illness was the result of overexertion and that she would soon recover. In a day or two she seemed better, but was not able to come downstairs. Instead, she had no desire or intention of doing so, 
until after the wedding, for she felt she could not, would not, see Dr. Lacey for the world. Since the receipt of her sister's letter, she had been given a holier love, a firmer faith, than aught on earth can bestow, and she was now under the influence of religion, of lasting true religion. This then was the reason why she welcomed her sister so affectionately, and felt no emotion, either of resentment or anger, toward those who were thus trampling on the bleeding fibres of her heart. As Julia kissed the almost transparent brow of her sister, and clasped her thin white fingers, tears gathered in her eyes, and she thought, This ruin I have wrought, and for it I must answer. But not long did she ever suffer her conscience to trouble her, and the next hour she was chatting away to Fanny about the preparations for her wedding, which was to take place one week from that day. Fanny listened as one who heard not. She was praying for more grace, more strength to endure yet a little longer. Slowly to Julia dragged the days of that week, while to Fanny they sped on rapid wing, and now everything within and without the house betokened the coming event. Servants scattered hither and thither, thinking they were doing it all, while in reality they were doing nothing. Mrs. Middleton scolded the blacks, and Uncle Joshua scolded Mrs. Middleton. At the same time, walking mechanically from the kitchen to the parlour, from the parlour to Fanny's sick-room, and from Fanny's sick-room back to the kitchen, occasionally kicking from his path some luckless kitten, dog or black baby, which latter set up most lusty yells, just to bury the scene. In the midst of all this, Fanny lay calmly and quietly on her low bed, counting each succeeding sun as it rose and set, bringing nearer and nearer a day she so much dreaded. True to her promise, Kate Miller came two days before the wedding. Fanny was asleep when she entered the room to see her, but on the white, wasted face, Kate's tears fell as she said, Poor oh, Fanny, I did not know she was so ill. Mr. Middleton, who was present, muttered, Yes, cursed be the one who made her so. He knew not that he cursed his own child. The next day Mr. William Middleton arrived, bringing the intelligence that Florence and Mabel had accompanied him, and would next evening be present at the wedding. Slowly the last rays of the bright October sun faded in the west, giving no sign of the stormy day which was to succeed. Long after midnight a lone watcher sat by the window in Fanny's room, gazing at the stars, which looked so quietly on from their distant homes, and praying, not for herself, but for Dr. Lacey, that he might be happy with her he had chosen. At last, chilled with the night air, she crept shivering to her pillow, nor woke again until aroused by the fierce moaning of the autumn wind, which shook the casement, and by the sound of the driving rain, which beat against the pane, yes, the morning which dawned on Julia's bridal day was wild and stormy, but before noon the clouds cleared away, and the afternoon was dry, hot, and oppressive, 
a precursor to the mightier and more wrathful storm which followed about five o'clock there was a noise in the yard and kate who was in fanny's room arranging her young friend's hair looked from the window and said it is dr lacy julia has looked for him for more than three hours quickly fanny hurried to the window she could not meet dr lacy face to face but she wished to look at him once more she was too late however he had entered the house and soon the sound of his voice reached her ear he had not been there long ere he asked for fanny on being told she was sick he seemed rather disturbed possibly however he felt relieved to know she would not be present when he took upon him vows which should have been breathed to her ashton florence and mabel now arrived and soon after came mr and mrs stanton accompanied by mrs carrington who had been invited because it would not do to slight her and who came because she had a mind to the ceremony was to take place at seven o'clock and guests each moment arrived until the parlour seemed almost full alone in her chamber sat fanny listening to the sounds of mirth which grated on her ear night dark and stormy was gathering over the earth but her darker night lay round the heart of the young girl as she watched from her pillow a dense black pile of clouds which had appeared in the west and now increased until the whole sky was overspread as with a pile of darkness white distant peals of muttered thunder announced the coming storm and now louder roared the howling wind and brighter the glaring lightning flashed while fiercer grew the conflict in fanny's bosom her faith was weak and well nigh blotted with tears of human weakness but he whose power could stay the storm without could also still the agony within and o'er the troubled waters of that aching heart there fell a peaceful calm suddenly the door opened and a creature of wondrous dazzling beauty appeared it was julia in her bridal robe she would fain have her sister's blessing ere she descended to the parlour the struggle was over and the blessing which fanny gave her sister was sincere but when julia asked forgiveness for all the evil she had ever done the reply was prevented by a crash of thunder so terrific that julia trembled with terror and hastily left the room in a moment there was a light step upon the stair fanny knew it was dr lacy for he soon returned with julia and as they passed her door she heard the merry laugh of florence who was bridesmaid in an instant they were in the parlour throughout which a general gloom seemed to reign perhaps it was owing to the wildness of the storm which each moment increased in fury the bridal party took their places and uncle joshua shut his eyes while the marriage ceremony commenced the reader may now accompany me to the border of yonder wood where stands a low-roofed building the property of mrs dunn there in a darkened room lay the widow's only son raving in the madness of delirium the fever flame burned in each vein and as he tossed from side to side he would shriek out quick 
I tell you, or you are too late. She must not wed him. Don't you know she's doubly, trebly steeped in guilt? Go quick, I tell you, and stop it. Mrs. Dunn could only weep, for she knew not, dreamed not, what her son could mean. Soon he grew calm and fell into a deep sleep. When he awoke, Billy Jeffrey, who lived near, was sitting by him. To Mrs. Dunn's delight, Joseph was sane, and calling her to him, he said, "'Isn't Julian Middleton to be married tonight?' "'She is,' answered his mother. "'At what hour?' "'At seven. "'What time is it now?' "'Half past six, replied Mrs. Dunn. "'It must not be,' said Joseph and turning to bill he added listen william to what i have to tell then speed along on the lightning's wing and tear her from the altar take her from his side i say and put there the other one the pale golden-haired one then as he noticed the vacant look on bill's face he added oh no you can't tell it you wouldn't understand it mother bring me a pen and some paper the paper was brought, and as soon as possible Joseph wrote a confession of his own and Julia's guilt. Now, Bill, said he, run for your life, and give this to Dr. Lacey. Do it for the sake of Fanny. Bill needed no second bidding. His obstute intelligence had gathered that in some way Fanny was in danger, and away he flew over bushes, briars, rocks, and ditches. But alas! The way was long and dark, and ere he was aware of it, he was precipitated into one of the sinkholes which are so common in the limestone soil of Kentucky. The fool sprained his ankle, but gathering himself up, he continued on, slowly and painfully. Meantime, delirium had again crept over Joseph Dunn, and he forgot that he sent Billy, but concluded he must go himself. Watching a time when his mother was from the room, he rose, and throwing on his double gown, went forth into the storm, and was soon far on his road toward Mr. Middleton. The man of God had scarcely finished the second paragraph of the Episcopal ceremony, beginning with, I require and charge you both, etc., when a shriek wild and unearthly and horrid rent the air. It was succeeded by a thunder-crash, so deafening that the ladies paled with terror. The large maple-tree, which stood by the front door, and which Julia had called hers, was shivered by lightning, but no one heeded it, for again was heard that fearful, manacle shriek, and this time could not be distinguished the sound as of someone who struggling with the blacks, who were huddled together in the hall let me go i tell you said the voice it shall not go on all eyes turned toward the door as joseph dunn appeared shouting stop it stop it she forged those letters she break her sister's heart stop it i say every person in the room seemed terror-stricken at the wild spectacle he presented his face wasted to a mere skeleton was ghastly white while his long yellow hair hung in matted locks about his brow, and a look of wild frenzy was in his eye, 
as darting toward the paralyzed Julia, he seized her as with a lion's grasp and shook her most furiously. Bill Jeffrey was close behind. He had lost his hat and the rain had soaked his thick hair until it clung closely to his head, giving him to a strange appearance. Mr. William Middleton now came forward to ask an explanation of Joseph, who chancing to see Bill said, He's got the letter, my confession, read that, I am too exhausted, and he fell upon the floor. No one noticed him, for all gazed intently at Bill, who drew from his pocket a paper and presented it to Dr. Lacey. In a calm, clear voice, Dr. Lacey read aloud the confession, in the midst of thunder, lightning, groans, cries and oaths, the latter of which were the spontaneous production of Uncle Joshua, who sat still in his chair until the confession was read through. Then, with one bound, he reached Julia, and raising her from the floor, said, Speak, Satan, and tell if this is true. Julia was overtaken, surrounded on all sides, and there was no way of escape. Mechanically, she answered, I am guilty, while a burst of excavation ran round the room. A stifled moan of agony came from Dr. Lacey's parted lips, and he asked in a voice which plainly told his suffering, Oh, why was I suffered to go thus far? Why, why did no one write? I did, answered Mrs. Miller. And I too, repeated Mrs. Carrington. But you spurned my letter and treated me with contempt. Never, never, scarcely articulated Dr. Tracy. I never received them. But call Rondu, he must know something of it. Rondu, who had accompanied his master, was called. Explanation followed explanation. Testimony crowded upon testimony, and Julia acknowledged all, until at length Dr. Lacey, frantic with a sense of wrong done him, turned to her and said, Base woman, why have you done this? Your sin has found you out, ere it was too late, for thank God you are not my wife, nor ever will be. Julia now lost all command of herself. Tearing the bridal veil from her brow, she rent it in twain. Then from her arms she snatched a diamond bracelet and trampled it under her feet, while a stream of blood issued from her mouth and stained her white satin dress. A moment more, and she too was extended on the floor by the side of her ally. Where during this exciting scene was Fanny? The direful sounds had reached her ear, and now at the head of the stairs she listened to the babble which reigned in the parlour. High above all other voices, she distinguished her father's, who, in his uncontrollable fury, was calling to use all the oaths he had ever heard of, besides manufacturing some expressly for the occasion. Then there was a heavy fall, accompanied by a cry from Mrs. Middleton of, Lift her up! Carry her out! Don't you see she is dying? Fanny hesitated no longer, but quickly descending the stairs, she forced her way through the blacks into the parlour, where she stood appalled at the scene before her. On the floor lay Julia, who, in a few moments before, stood there represented in beauty. 
Near her sat the maniac, Joseph Dunn. He had recovered from his fainting fit, and was now crouching over the prostrate form of Julia, laughing in his delirious glee as he wiped from her lips the red drops of blood. In a corner of the room a group had gathered, near an open window, through which they were bearing an intimate object. It was Florence who had fainted, and as it seemed impossible to effect a passage through the hall, so filled was it with terrified servants, they had sought the window as the best means of egress. Suddenly, over that excited assembly, there came a deep silence. It was caused by the appearance of Fanny, who, with her loose white muslin wrapper and long curls, which floated over her shoulders, seemed like some being from another world, come to say that storm of passion. Mabel, who was occupied with her cousin, looked back as the calm hush fell upon them, and then and there she first saw Fanny Middleton. The scene was too much for Fanny, and she too would have fainted had not Dr. Lacey caught her in his arms. Clasping her slight form passionately to his bosom, he exclaimed, My own, my Fanny, my wife, for such are you, and such you will be. Mr. William Middleton and Mr. Miller, who were bearing Julia from the room, now passed them. Dr. Lacey glanced once at the corpse-like face over which the heavy braids of long black hair had fallen. Then, with a shudder, he again strained Fanny to his heart, saying, Thank God, thank God I escaped her in time. Then turning to the minister, who all this time had stood looking on in mute astonishment, he added in an authoritative manner, Go on with the ceremony, sir, and make her my wife. But a new thought entering his mind, he released Fanny and said, Pardon me, dear Fanny, sorrow has well nigh bereft me of my senses. In my first joy in finding you innocent, I forgot that you could not be mine, for you belong to another, to Mr. Cameron. Cameron, go to thunder, exclaimed Uncle Joshua, who was still standing near. That's another of Tempest's lies. She never was engaged to him, never loved him, or any other mortal man save yourself. Here, Fanny, who, it will be remembered, was all this time ignorant of the truth, asked if someone would not explain what she saw and heard. I will, said Dr. Lacey. It is my duty to do so. And he led her to a window, where he hurriedly told her all, everything which he himself knew, intermingling his words with so much passionate embraces that his sanity was much to be doubted. He had scarcely finished his story when Kate approached him, saying, For humanity's sake, Dr. Lacey, if you have any skill, exert it in behalf of Julia, who seems to be dying. Dr. Lacey arose, and winding his arm about Fanny, as if afraid he might lose sight of her, moved toward the room where Julia lay. They had borne her to the bridal chamber, which Fanny had arranged with so much care, and as Dr. Lacey appeared at the door, Uncle Joshua met him and said, I know she sarved you mean, but I would not have her die. She is my own child, and you must save her if you can. 
at the same time he pointed to julia who lay in the same death-like trance with the blood still issuing slowly from her livid lips all that dr lacey could do he did but when dr gordon arrived he gladly gave up his charge to him and turned his attention toward fanny who overcome by what she had seen and heard had fainted and been carried to her own room where she was surrounded by mrs carrington florence and mabel these ladies ran against each other except the capor bottle dropped the lamp and spilled half the cologne in their zealous efforts to take care of their patient in the midst of their confusion dr lacey entered and they immediately gave up to him the task of restoring her this he soon did for it would seem that his very voice had a power to recall fanny's suspended faculties slowly her eyes unclosed then as if wearied out she again closed them and for a time slept sweetly calmly on dr lacey's bosom the guests now began to depart and bill jeffrey who had been sent to inform mrs dunn of her son returned with some of the neighbours and carried joseph away owing to the darkness of the night the company from frankfort remained until morning but no eyelid closed in sleep with maternal solicitude mrs middleton sat by the bedside of her daughter julia whose eyes opened once but on seeing dr lacey standing near by she closed them again with a shudder and a faint wail of anguish escaped her she had ruptured a small blood vessel but dr gordon said there was no danger if she could be kept quiet for a few days uncle joshua thus relieved from alarm concerning her walked back and forth from her room to fanny's swearing that he knew the devil was let loose that night for his special benefit and that he had come up there to see how much of a row he could get up he succeeded admirably i think said florence who having recovered from her first fright was now ready to extract whatever fun could be gathered from the surrounding circumstances in the kitchen the blacks canvassed the matter after their fashion aunt judy lamented because none of the tempting supper in the dining-room was touched while bob did not fail to turn his usual round of somersaults thus evincing his joy that so many good things were left for him to eat cuz he said in course will alice has all that comes off the table aunt katie took occasion to lecture the young black girls on the awful sin of conceit as she called it pointing them for an example to julia who would most likely have to live an old maid all her days she couldn't have threatened a worse punishment for many of the negresses had already their own preferences in favour of certain mulatto boys on their master's plantation and others adjoining Bondu seemed to think his sympathy was only needed by his young master whom he looked upon as a much abused man from the first he had felt great contempt for the old house its master servants and all and had come to the conclusion that they were of no count anyhow this opinion would doubtless have been reserved for leffie's ear had not affairs taken so unexpected a turn now however rondeau felt at liberty to express his mind so freely 
that Ike considered it his duty to resent the insult. A regular negro fight ensued, in which Aunt Katie, who was not very active, was thrown down as she loudly protested. Every atom of breath was kicked out of her. The big chicken pie was also turned over into Rondu's new hat, greatly to the satisfaction of Tiger and the other dogs, who had mingled in the farce. The riot was finally quelled by Mr. William Middleton and Dr. Lacey, Uncle John declaring he wouldn't interfere that night if the niggers all fit till they killed themselves. End of chapter 21 Recording by Elaine Webb, Bristol, England